Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey everyone, Pastor Andrew here. It is great to be with you. I'm so excited to see you, our Mountain Park online family. Christmas is just days away, and this is going to be the most difficult, maybe, and different Christmas we've all experienced. But I want you to know that we love you, and we are praying for you and for your families. If there's any way that we can serve you in this season, if there's anything you need, please just email me. You can email me at andrew at mp.church. You can email Pastor Brenda, Brenda at mp.church. You can even email Pastor Alex, Alex at mp.church. Any one of us would be happy to um connect with you and walk through whatever it is that you need to walk through. This can be already one of the most difficult seasons of the year and a lonely time of the year. This year, it's even accentuated, you know, multiplied many times. Uh, But we want you to know that you're not alone. We want you to know that we love you uh, and we are here to serve you. Last week was our... um, year-end offering Sunday, our comeback offering, and man, did God bless us, especially considering the year that we've been in. God is just so good, and He's so faithful. Today, we're in uh, week five of our comeback series, and today, specifically, is our giveaway offering. And so, as a church, this is our uh, First Fruits Sunday. So as a church, what we're doing today is we're giving away the whole offering from today, all right? So not from last week, from today. We're tithing off of last week's, but today we're giving away the whole offering. And I want you to know we're actually giving it to uh, a missionary couple from this church who have followed God's call on their life. Uh, Daniel Jean-Baptiste and his wife, Vanessa, they literally are so serious about following the call of God on their life that they picked up their family and moved to Guadalupe. I can't even tell you exactly where that is on a map, but that's where they are, on a Caribbean island called Guadalupe. Uh, They are pastoring a church and they are investing their whole lives into the ministry. Daniel and his family had been coming to Mountain Park for a couple of years and had just actually started serving on the worship team and getting involved. Many of you know him. We love um, the uh, the Jean-Baptiste family. And uh, today, everything that uh, God provides here in our house, we're going to give away Uh, to them. They've never asked us for any financial help whatsoever. But when I uh, chatted with him um, the other day to just let him know that we were wondering if we could give him an offering, he sent me a message back and he said, man, God's timing is just incredible. Uh, Just last week, our car broke down 
and uh, we're not able to go and pick up people for church. And on this island, like you kind of have to have a car. There's no great public transit or things like that. They're not living in a, a giant metropolis area. And so uh, he said they have literally just been praying about what to do about a vehicle and um, just felt so encouraged, renewed, refreshed uh, that Jesus would understand what they need, um, that out of nowhere, we would just reach out to them and say, hey, can we give you an offering? And so today, as you give, that's where our whole offering is going today. And it is an honor and a privilege to be able to give away um, the resources that God has entrusted to us. And we're not giving them really, they're not ours to begin with, but we're just we're just stewarding the resources that God has given us. And so as a church, that's what we do. You know, the truth is in the last um, three years, uh, we've been able to um, give back. We've been able to release back or be good stewards uh, of $46,000 from these three giveaway offering Sundays over the last three years. So who knows what God will do today, but I want to encourage you with that. He's always at work, he's always active, and he's always moving. Okay, so uh, we are in week five of our comeback series. And like I've mentioned to you before, uh, this word comeback is like a triple entendre, <laughs> all right? So the first two weeks was a call to come back to God with our whole heart. Week two, to come back to God with our whole life. You can go back and listen to those if you'd like. Uh, week three with Pastor Brenda was this second sort of uh, meaning of comeback, that God is the God. He's the author of the comeback story, the greatest comeback stories that humanity has ever known our gods, that he um, is calling you to a comeback, to believe that he can do more, exceedingly more than you could ever hope or imagine, that God is calling you to a comeback in your life over the things that have beat you down and knocked you out. He's calling you to trust him, to know that he can take everything that the enemies meant for evil and turn it to good. That was that second meaning of comeback. And this third meaning of comeback uh, today and next week is God's call to us to live with a new intentionality um, with the reality that Jesus is coming back. I, I can't stress this enough that this should actually tangibly change our lives. The reality of the return of Jesus Christ on the earth was the driving force for the disciples in their ministry and in their mission. It was front and center, heads and tails, the most prominent uh, sort of message and theme of the New Testament was the imminent return of Christ. The story of the New Testament is that Jesus has come into the world, all right? So that's what we're celebrating uh, for Christmas in a few days that Jesus has come into the world, but that he's coming back again as well. God is calling us. He's calling you and me in this season to live with a greater intentionality, a greater awareness that his coming back is a sure thing. Uh, let's talk about a few of these verses. So number one, John 14, one to three, a famous few verses this is what Jesus is saying to his disciple. He's 
disciples. He is just about, um, you know, ready to go to the cross. And I don't know if you're ever ready for that, but he was, he's just about ready to go. And he's, they're, they're grieved because they know something's changing in their life. They know everything is going to be turned upside down and they're grieving. They don't know exactly what's going on and going around. Um, and isn't that sort of like we are, uh, in today? The, the situation we find ourselves in today is so similar. You know, everything has been turned upside down. We don't know what to believe, what's true, what to think, how to plan, how, like all of our normal sort of um, mechanisms around us to kind of control and stabilize our life have been removed. And that's what was happening for the disciples. They were living in a, a, a moment of great worry and fear and apprehension and anxiety. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. And that seems like just a sort of a cliche thing to say, but he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus says to the disciples, look, I know things are stressful right now. I know you've got no bearing on what's going on, that, that all of your mechanisms to kind of order and control your lives have been stripped away. But there's something greater taking place. There's something higher that you can look to in your life. And Jesus is saying, look, that thing is my return, is my coming back. So I'm going away to prepare a place, but I'm coming back for you. This is the message of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, he says this, if I can find it real quick. You can try and find it in your Bible too, if you've got a minute. <laughs> he says in 1 Thessalonians, there we are, 4.16, this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What is Paul saying? He's saying Christ is coming back and the return of Christ should be a stabilizing factor in your life. It should actually be something that reorients and positions you toward joy and peace and hope. Jesus echoes this statement again in Revelation, saying that he is coming back. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13 and verse 20. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. So the first thing we need to do is recognize that all through the New Testament especially, there are hints of this in the Old Testament too, but from the words of Jesus' own mouth and the words of his disciples, 
There is this call to recognize and understand and know that Jesus is coming back. And his coming back should actually be a a stabilizing force in our life. His coming back should actually be something that liberates us toward hope that 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 launches us out of our current, you know, malaise of stuff going around us and actually fills us with a sense of anticipation and with hope. That Greek word for coming that is used in the New Testament is parousia. And that word literally means um, presence. It means a visit or an arrival or especially of like a royal and distinguished person. So there's some verses that talk about, and we read in Thessalonians, that talk about Jesus coming on the clouds. And I'm not sure exactly if that's specifically physically Jesus is going to kind of float down from outer space. That's what a lot of people seem to believe. But this word for coming doesn't necessarily indicate that. It means that he's going to appear. It means that he's going to reveal himself. And the kingdom of heaven currently, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is not a geographical place that's somewhere. It's actually all around us. Jesus said, actually, um, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's present. The kingdom of heaven is actually the active reach of the will of God. It's that place where what God wants done is done. Then the kingdom of heaven is established in that place. So it's not a geographical place that Jesus is going to have to come from necessarily. That that picture of Jesus coming on the clouds is a strong messianic symbol of his rule and authority and dominion over the earth and over everything on the earth. But this um, this word parousia literally means a revealing, that Jesus is going to reveal himself again. He's going to return. And I think it's really important for us to notice here and to make note right here that Jesus's ascension into heaven. So after he died, was resurrected, he was on the earth for 40 days. Um, he met with hundreds and hundreds of people were eyewitnesses to his presence on the earth. In the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says that he ascended. He gives his disciples some uh, parting instruction, he, and he ascends up into heaven. Jesus ascended as a physical man, as a human being, a physical corporal body. All right? So that's really important to remember that Jesus is not up uh, in heaven somewhere. He's not in the spiritual realm in some disembodied spirit vapor-like sense. He is actually a physical person still in the spiritual realm that he is currently in, in the throne room of God. He's actually a physical person. And when he returns, he's returning in physical bodily form. This is so essential for us. So essential. Jesus is not coming back as a kind of a spirit or a ghost. He's coming back as the risen king. He is returning in physical form to a physical earth. So the question is, why? Why is Jesus coming back? I want to submit to you a few things. If you're taking notes, now would be a good time to start. Number one, Jesus is coming back to restore all things. 
He's coming back to restore us back to God's original design and purpose, and not just us. He's coming to restore the earth. He's coming to restore um, the universe, everything that's been created by him, by God. He's coming to restore. What he is going to do in his restoring of all things is he's going to uh, cut off and reverse the curse that came from sin and the kingdom of darkness in uh, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back to restore all things. Look at what he says in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Let's read that together if we could. Matthew 11, 28 and uh, 29. Let me just quickly find it here. Uh, This is what Jesus uh, says. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. So again, look at what Jesus says. Uh, Truly I tell you in the renewal of all things, Jesus is coming back, number one, to restore all things. He's coming to re-establish the rule and reign, the goodness of God. He's coming to restore perfection. He's coming to restore uh, relationship and intimacy between us and God. He's coming to renew and restore the earth and everything that's been created back to God's original design. God has never given up on you. God has never given up on humanity. God has never given up on what he's made. God has never been in the back seat without uh, an option here. God's heart and desire is to renew and restore all things. The second thing, the second reason that Jesus is coming back is to rescue us from the wrath of God. First Thessalonians said, for God did not appoint us to wrath. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Romans 5, verse 9 says, How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the reality Here for you and for me. Outside of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, we are all under the wrath of God. 
We are all sinful. We have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. I don't care how many good things you think you've done in your life. I don't care how good you try to be. I don't care how much you give to the poor. I don't care how kind you are to those around you. I don't care what you think you've tried to do to be good or to balance the scales of your life with just enough goodness and just enough kind of sin and evil. None of it matters outside of Jesus. And what Jesus is coming back to do is to uh, rescue us from the wrath of God. The Bible says that God one day is going to pour out his wrath on humanity, but also more specifically his wrath on Satan and the kingdom of darkness. God is going to bring justice. He's going to bring equity back. God is going to bring judgment to the devil and every one of his demons that has created this gigantic, colossal, enormous mess that we are bound in and entangled in, the destruction of sin and uh, its tentacles all over the earth, God is going to bring his wrath, his holiness on, his judgment on it. And Jesus is coming back to rescue us from the wrath of God. When we get this, when we fully get it, the purpose of that is not to cause terror or fear. We should be afraid of God. Trust me, we should be. If we knew what we deserved, we would be uh, cowering in fear. But the gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is our rescuer from the wrath of God. And not only is Jesus going to renew all things, he's going to rescue those who have entrusted their lives to him from the wrath of God. The third thing that Jesus is coming back to do is to reestablish his rule and reign with us on the earth. All right, Revelation 21, 3 um, and 22 verse 7 says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. They will reign forever and ever. First Timothy 2, 11 and 12. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelation 5, verse 10. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Jesus is coming back to reestablish his rule and reign on the earth and his invitation to us to rule and reign with him. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means next week. But the reason Jesus is coming back, again, number one, is to renew all things back to the way that God had designed them and intended them, reversing the curse, breaking the curse of sin on the earth, on everything that's been created and on humanity. Number two, Jesus is coming back to rescue us from the wrath of God and he is our only rescue option. There is no one righteous, not even one. Your good works are not sufficient 
to rescue you. You cannot rescue yourself. Jesus is coming back to rescue us from the wrath of God. And number three, Jesus is coming back so that we can rule and reign with him on the earth. Physical men and women reigning with a physical Jesus on the physical earth. We're going to talk more about that next week. That is why Jesus is coming back. All right? So when Jesus comes back, what is he going to do first? The Bible gives us a picture of what is going to happen first. Number one, Jesus, when he comes back, will first bring judgment and justice. All right, so the first thing Jesus is going to do is bring judgment to sin and to evil on the earth. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 13. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. (laughs) Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each one was judged according to their works. What is Jesus going to do first when he returns uh, for his second coming? He's going to bring judgment. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5 So do not judge anything prematurely. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Do not judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. Here is what Paul is saying. He's saying that nothing that has happened in secret will not be disclosed. Nothing that you've uh, whispered in private will not be revealed. That God will bring judgment and justice. You can count on God to do that. For the things that people have said behind your back that have hurt you. For the way that they've sinned against you and hurt you and violated you. Jesus is coming back and everything will be brought to light. You can trust him that he's coming to bring justice and judgment to the earth. Romans 14, 10 and 12. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why are you deciding that you need to sit in that seat of judgment? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself for our life. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or whether you have uh, rejected him, whether you have uh, staked your life and your claim on atheism or on any other uh, sort of avenue that you think is going to get you to heaven, all of us will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account to him of our life. The books will be opened. Everything you've thought, every little word you've said, the Bible says that every careless word that's left your mouth will be revealed and will come to light. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul is speaking to Christians there. 
He is speaking to people that have declared Jesus Lord of their lives. He's speaking to people that have surrendered their lives to Christ, that are living for God and not for themselves. He's speaking to them. Even as followers of Christ, everything you've thought and said and done, every intention of your heart, everything going on in your life will be revealed and Jesus is going to bring judgment to it. We're going to talk more about that next week as well and what that actually means. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 to 10. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only going to rescue us from the wrath of God, but Jesus is going to be the agent who administers the justice, wrath, and holiness of God on those who have rejected him. Just let that sink in for a moment. That Jesus is going to be the one that not only saves those who have trusted in him, believed in him, lived for him from the wrath of God. Jesus is the administering agent of the holiness of God, of the wrath of God, the justice and the judgment of God. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength on that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed. Jesus is coming and the first thing that he's going to do is administer judgment on the earth to humanity. Those who have already died, those who are still alive, whether you believe in Jesus or not, all of us will stand before the judgment of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus himself said. Matthew 25, 31 and 32, he said this, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a, se a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I want to just make a note there. So it's Jesus who's going to bring judgment. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. But I want to specifically make a note here of um, that last verse where it says, it is the eternal fire that's been prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not create hell for humanity. God did not create hell, this place of eternal torture uh, for humanity. Hell was created for the devil and his followers, the demons of the kingdom of darkness, as a punishment for their rebellion against God. But God gives us a choice today. He gives us a choice today to surrender and put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ or to go it our own way. And he will honor your choice. The people 
that will be found in hell for eternity will be people that have chosen to go there by their own will and their own decision. It's not God's desire that anyone should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. In Ezekiel, God said that he does not delight in the death of wicked people. God didn't design hell for humans. He designed it for Satan and the kingdom of darkness. But as a consequence for rejecting God, for dismissing Jesus Christ, hell will be the eternal consequence, the eternal suffering punishment consequence of those who from their own will and volition determine in themselves that they will reject Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation. No one will be in hell saying, God put me here. Everyone will be there because they chose to be there. When Jesus comes back, the very first thing he's going to do is bring judgment. Hmm. So how is Jesus going to come back? Are we going to know? Are we going to get some advanced warning? Will we have time to kind of prep ourselves <laughs> and get ready? The answer to that is no. I want to read with you Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. This is Jesus saying, Now concerning that day and the hour, no one knows. He's talking about the return of Jesus. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days of the flood, they were scattered, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand, um, a hand mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, be alert since you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is coming back again. Jesus is coming back to restore all things. He's coming back to rescue us from the wrath of God. And he's coming back so that we can rule and reign with him on the recreated earth for eternity. The first thing that Jesus is going to do is bring judgment on the earth. And it's important for us to know that we do not know the hour or the time he could come back like a thief in the night, the Bible says, he can come back. And that our call is to be ready for when he does come back. There's a movie that was shot in 1970, 1972, I believe, uh, that's called The Thief in the Night. And uh, it literally terrorized me as a youngster. Uh, we watched it. My parents watched it with us. It's a Christian movie that's all about the return of Jesus. Um, but it literally terrorized me. It, it's, it provoked so much fear in me for the imminent return of Christ. 
that I made my parents for weeks and weeks after that. I made them leave like the lights on upstairs. I, I was too scared to go to sleep in the dark and I needed to leave my door open so that I could hear them talking because I was worried that Jesus might come back and that I wouldn't be ready, that I wouldn't be taken to be with him. <laughs> And Jesus says we need to live in in a way with this kind of readiness and anticipation. He says, watch and be alert in Mark 13. Watch and be alert for you don't know when the time is coming. You know, we can do all of our fancy sort of um, scholarly work into like, oh, let's read the signs of the times and let's figure out when he's coming and, you know, what's going on on the earth today. And people have been doing that for centuries. But God says you can't know when he's coming back. So the point is, are you ready today for his return? Jesus said this, it's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work. We have a purpose and a responsibility, an assignment today for our life, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or in the uh, crowing of the rooster or in the early morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Are you sleeping on the job right now? Are you living oblivious to the imminent return of Christ? Are you ready for the return of Christ? Because with the return of Christ comes the judgment seat of Christ, comes the the reckoning of God, comes the opening of the books and the evaluation of your life and what you have been living for, what you have been determined in your heart to do, if you've surrendered your life to Christ or not, if you're walking under his leadership and under his authority, if you've yielded your will to him, if you're walking in obedience and faithfulness, when Christ returns, all of that will be laid bare. So be alert. Again, Paul says in Thessalonians The Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When everyone is saying peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Like labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escalate. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. You're being warned even right now. You're being warned. Jesus is coming back. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark. For the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. This year, right now, this moment, Jesus is calling you to live with a greater sense of urgency and awareness and sensitivity to the reality and the truth that at any moment, like a thief in the night, he could return. And he wants to return to you and to me being alert and ready, living with purpose and intentionality in our lives. The question is, are you ready for Jesus to come back? How do we get ready? (laughs) If you don't know if you're ready, how do you get ready? The Bible is clear. We need to repent and believe. 
John 14, 6, Jesus told his disciples, he tells you today, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to say something that is countercultural, that is counter-narrative in our culture, that may be even offensive to you, but that does not make this any less the truth. Jesus is the only way to eternity in heaven with God. There are not a multiplicity of roads. Not every religion leads to the same place. Not every belief leads to the same place. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the doorway. He's the access point between us and God. He's the only way. And Jesus made that exclusive claim of himself. That's what Jesus says. Salvation is found in no other name, Acts 4.12. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Repent and believe. That word repent means to turn around. It means to change our thinking. But it's not just a a cognitive intellectual thing. It must be followed by our actions by our the direction that we go. It must be a changing in the way we think about our lives and what's important and what we prioritize and how we live to live under the Lordship of Christ, under the direction of Christ, not my will, but yours be done. That's what it means to repent and believe is to say, God, I'm not going to live for my own desires anymore. I'm not going to determine how I want to live and what I will do and how I will act and what I will believe and all of these things. I will surrender to you. Change my thinking. God, I trust you and believe in you. And that belief and that trust must be manifested in our actions. Genuine repentance bears its own fruit. Jesus said, In Matthew 3, 8, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. I want to just make a note here that our justification is not by a prayer, that it's by faith. There is no magic prayer in the scripture that is the key to uh, unlocking eternity with God. There is no formulaic prayer, no magic prayer. Our justification is by faith in God, not a prayer. We're saved by grace through faith, Paul says in Ephesians 2.8. And it's not from yourselves. We're not saved by praying a prayer. And this may be startling to you and even confrontational to you. You may go, well, didn't Paul say in Romans 9, 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes, Paul did say that. But I believe as I've been studying about this verse and about this, that it's not what Paul is not saying is if you pray the sinner's prayer one time in church, that you will be saved, that that's a magic card that gives you access to heaven. That word confess in the verb is uh, found 24 times 
in 21 different uh, places uh, in the New Testament. And in every one of those, except for one, the context is the believer's public confession before men of the Lordship of Jesus, not a private prayer. The only place that that is a private prayer is 1 John 1 verse 9. So uh, that's the only place that deals with a prayer uh, for forgiveness. Every other use of that word confess is a public declaration, a public confession of the Lordship of Jesus Christ between people. So the context of Paul's writing in Romans 10 and the the use of the verb that he's using in the Greek indicates a continuing action. But there's no reference here to a lost person praying a prayer privately before God and receiving justification from a prayer. That's not what Paul is saying in Romans 10 verse 9. So there's no passage in Scripture that would support that view. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. I want to submit to you something that may challenge you. It may make you angry. It may provoke uh, something in you. But we're not called to just believe in something or pray certain words that have truth to them, we're called to give our whole life to someone, and that person is Jesus. It's not enough to just believe that, um, you know, uh, intellectually, theoretically, that Jesus might be Lord. We're called to give our life to him, Through the whole New Testament, that word believe is attached to actions that manifest themselves in our decision-making, in our choices, in obedience and surrender, in our actions, in the development of our character and movement toward the character of God. It's not just an intellectual statement that we're, you know, uh, agreeing to. It's not a prayer that has magical components to it. Pastor David Platt, which is similar to Platt, but has an A instead of an E, um, he's from Alabama, and he said this, and I want to read this to you. Many assume they are saved simply because of a prayer they prayed. It's not that praying a prayer in and of itself is bad. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying it's bad to pray that prayer. But the question in John 2 and 3, is what kind of faith are we calling people to? Speaking at a Verge Leaders Conference, all right, this is what David Platt said. The emphasis on the sinner's prayer is unbiblical and damning. (laughs) So that's what David Platt is saying. David goes on to say, I'm convinced that many people in our churches are simply missing the life of Christ, and a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as a gospel, i.e., pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, and fight Christ into your life. Should it not concern us that there is so much superstitious prayer like this in our Western church, but that there is no such superstitious prayer like this found in the New Testament? 
David continues to say, should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrase, accept Jesus into your heart or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel we see being preached. It's modern evangelism built on sinking sand, and it runs the risk of disillusioning millions of souls. Platt says that he is concerned that some people say they believe in Jesus, say they've accepted Jesus, and say they have received Jesus, but are not saved and will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. (laughs) Just let that sink in for a moment. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to accept Jesus into our heart. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to pray a specific prayer. But everywhere in Scripture, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Jesus says, like going back to Matthew chapter 7 here. Um, uh, where can I find it here? Jesus says, you know, if you obey me, then you will be my children. In 2 Timothy 2.19, Paul says, "Everyone, let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. There's no sinner's prayer found in Scripture, and there's no record of a sinner's prayer being used by the early church. It's really a modern evangelism tool, technique, and idea. But what God is not calling you and I to are just simply recite facts about him. He's calling you to a life of surrender and obedience. This is what I've been saying week after week after week after week. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole life. He's not asking for you to recite something that's true about him. He's inviting you to surrender your whole life to him, to move toward him, to forsake what you want for what he wants. Jesus said, anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. If we are genuine about putting our faith and trust in God, receiving his grace and his mercy, it will manifest itself in our choices, beliefs, actions, our character, what we say, what we think, what we do. This is the point of New Testament scripture. Jesus is calling you and I to a revolution of our heart. What he's saying is your lifestyle must match your theology. So you say you believe I'm Lord of your life. Prove it to me. If it's really true, it's going to come out in your actions. And yet I believe myself, like so many of you were told when we were young, just pray this prayer and it's your magic golden ticket into heaven. Instead, this is what Jesus says. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14, 23 and 24, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words, will not do what they say they believe in their life. 
1 John 2, 3, and 6, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as Jesus walked. If you're genuine and you're sincere about giving your life to Christ, about surrendering your life to him, it'll manifest itself in your decision to follow him and to walk as he walked. Your choices will be different. You will surrender what you desire to God. It's not about praying a magic prayer. It's about the content of your heart and your character and your life moving toward God. It's not how you start. It's not some magic prayer. It's how we end. Jesus said in Matthew 24, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Seven times in Revelation 2, when Jesus is speaking to all seven of the churches, he says the same thing to each one of them. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You know, we're celebrating Christmas right now. But Jesus didn't just come as a baby and say, okay, I did it, God. I came as a baby. I surrendered. I humbled myself. I came to earth as a human being. That's not what he did. Jesus had to finish his purpose. He had to fulfill God's calling on his life. The very reason that he was born, it wasn't enough just to come. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was asking God, if there's any other way, would, would you kind of let me take any other way but the cross? He didn't say, you know what, God, I've done all of this up to this point. Aren't you happy with that? No. He said, yet, yeah, but not your will, mine be done. He was called to endure to the end and his calling to you and to me is to endure, to persevere, to fight the good fight, to finish well. It's not how you started. It's not about a prayer you prayed when you were 10 at camp. It's about how you're living today. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you ready right now? Have you been living for him? Or have you just been talking a big game, but not following it up with your actions? And if, if, if it's only been talk, has it ever been actually real? Or did you try and just get that get out of jail free card and then decide that you didn't need to change how you lived? The whole weight of scripture in the New Testament is oriented to our calling to be faithful and obedient with what we do with our life, with how we live. That's why we can't just cherry pick a few verses here or there. We need to know the whole scripture and more than knowing the whole scripture, we need to know the God of scripture. Jesus is coming back and he says, the evidence of your surrender will be in the fruit of your character will be in your thinking, choices, and actions. So how can you know if Jesus is really Lord of your life? Well, it's good for us to pray every day, to recognize our need for him. I've taught you guys this before. 
You can go to mp.church forward slash morning prayer and you can read all about this. It's good for us to recognize daily our need for him, to pray to him. It's good for us to confess our sin to him, to confess our need for him and to confess his lordship over our life. But it can't end there. You can know and be assured that when Jesus comes back, you will be entering eternity with God from the fruit of your character and your decision-making. Are you living for yourself today or are you living for the purposes of God? Yes, we all make mistakes and we all mess up. But the question today is, is the reality that Jesus is coming back changing how you live today? We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. I want to leave you with this verse, Revelation 22. Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Both the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to encourage you. To, I want to plead with you today to not only say that you want to surrender your life to Jesus, but to literally transform the direction you're going in your work, in your family, in your finances, in your dating relationships, in your parenting relationships, in your friendships, in all of them, our question should be, God, what is your heart and your desire? I want to follow you. And if you're genuine in doing that, if you're genuine in seeking the leadership of Jesus in your life, you can be assured that he knows your heart, that he sees your faithfulness, and that when he comes back, he will welcome you into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we just, um, I ask Holy Spirit even right now that you would just speak truth and life to each person here. Bring us conviction, Holy Spirit. Bring us a greater awareness of your coming, your imminent coming. I pray that that would literally move us to live different lives under your leadership. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would even bring conviction right now to the areas of our lives that we are retaining and holding on to control in, the areas of our lives that we have not surrendered to Jesus Christ. Pray that you would move us deeper into that relationship of faithfulness and obedience to you, Jesus. Thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that your word says all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, we call on your name today. We say that our lives, we want to live under your leadership and under your lordship. We repent, God, for choosing our own way, for choosing sin, for choosing um, the desires of our own flesh. We repent for those things today. We ask that you would renew us and restore us, that you would lead us toward 
the calling and purpose you have for us each individually. Amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.